you miss one week, it doesn't dictate the next because we are looking at different people in the Bible and realizing that the Bible is a collection of misfits who we look at and we go, oh my gosh, they were amazing people. Oh my gosh, they were fantastic. Like they did amazing things. But you got to look at, we're looking at it from a hindsight 2020 perspective. We're looking at it from that perspective of we already know what they've done. We know the wins and the, and, and the things that they have done that were great. But put yourself in their shoes when they're called to those moments and they realize that they were not qualified. They were not ready. They were not prepared for all the things that God had in store for their purpose in life. And so many times we say, God, I can't be used because of fill in the blank. And I look at people, I mean, listen, you can over and over again, every amazing person in the Bible that we think did amazing things had an amazing flaw as well. I couldn't imagine God coming to me and saying, hey, I want you to do this, and then giving him an excuse why. Like, you know, like verbally, God, you know, God shows up. Moses, right, talking to it from a burning bush, and he's all like, I want you to free my people. Mm-mm. Nope. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't speak well. He had a stutter. God says, okay, cool, I'll use that stutter, and I'm going to give you a helper. But, 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 but God, see, all the time, and, and how many times in our life do we try to tell God, I would, God, I would love to serve you. God, I would love to be the Christian that you want me to be. God, I want to, I want to be this person, but. And my goal through this series is for us to see that we're all a little bit flawed, but we're all called. We may, we may have mistakes in our past. We may have things that, we're, that God still has to work out. There still may, may be things that you feel inadequate and unqualified to do. But God is saying, despite how you feel, I know what I have called you to and why you're here. So today, I wanted to start out with somebody who I know if you've gone to church for any amount of time, even if you didn't, because other people have done movies on, on uh, her, uh, aka, I think Disney did Prince of Egypt. Oh, no, that was Moses, huh? Uh, what, is there an Esther movie? I, I feel like there's an Esther movie. There's a real-life Esther movie. I, I know, I was going to say, I knew that there was like an Esther movie somewhere. Uh, so today we're going to talk about Esther, and God gave me some, it's going to be a lot of the same scripture core but I feel like God gave me just a little bit different direction in looking at uh, Esther's life. Listen, most of our greatest moments are not moments we uh, are looking for, but in those moments, we choose to excel. We, we, a lot of times, we don't go looking to, uh, to find these great moments in our life, you know, these, these championship moments, these, these moments where you feel like, I have conquered something. The reason why is because most of the time we feel like we've conquered something, it's because we're walking through a season in our life that does not feel like we've got it all together. I didn't choose this. I didn't choose to go through this. How many have ever said, <laughs> said that statement in their life? I didn't choose. If I would have known it was like this, I wouldn't have gone into this circumstance. God's saying, because you didn't know, you walked through that circumstance, and now I get to use it the way that I wanted to. I saw this post by Christine Kane. Uh, she's a phenomenal speaker, and her and her husband run the A21 uh, project which helps uh, um, modern-day slavery uh, all throughout the world. And she said this. Uh, it's kind of a long post, but she says this. She says, you don't really know if you're walking by faith and not by sight, right? You know, because we hear that statement through the Bible. You got to walk by faith and not by sight. She goes, you don't really know if you're walking by faith and not by sight until you literally cannot see, plan, or prepare for the next step. Stepping out and taking a risk sounds awesome until it comes to the moment you actually have to step out and take the risk. 
Don't be surprised if you are hit by a wave of doubt, fear, insecurity, or even start to second guess yourself. It's normal. The enemy wants you to stay stuck, draw back, or change your mind. That this is the moment you need to be strong and very courageous. You must trust what you do know about God more than what you don't know about your future. If you don't step out, you'll never find out if, God, if, if it really is God or not. You have been called to more than a life of comfort, ease, safety, and security. We are invited into the faith adventure with Jesus. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. With faith, all things are possible in him. Remember, the righteous will live by faith. Now, honestly, she just quoted mostly scripture. Can I tell you that? Like, most of that was scripture, mixed in with a little bit of inspiration. But it's the reality. You don't know if you're living by faith and not by sight until you can't see, plan, or prepare for something. And it's really easy to talk about wanting to be great until you have to step out and do something. Then it's scary. And you may be thinking, and I always, I always think about this as a pastor when I preach, that when I say stuff like that, most people naturally just go to the place where they're like, well, I'm not called to be a missionary or a pastor or a leader on stage, so you're really not talking to me. No, I really am. Because we, and, and, and what I mean by that is those that are on, on the side of, of, of preaching and teaching and leading people in, in the spiritual realm, we are a very small percentage of the collective church that changes the world. The world is changed by everyday normal Christians that go to a, a nine to five, that go to a job, that, that, that just live in, the, in, the, in their life, but decide, I'm not going to sit back and be, and be okay with comfortable. I'm not going to be okay with just going with the flow, waking up, breathing, paying taxes, doing my thing for hopefully 70, 75 years, and then dying. I'm not going to be okay with that. God, whatever you have planned, do it. And for some, that, that may be like... He may, he may go, I want you to, I, I, I've read books, um, one of my favorite books, and I've told the, the guys on our uh, Tuesday night, which is, by the way, switching to Monday nights, if you're a guy, you've got that text message that's part of our group, um, but, Mon, uh, but we, uh, I was telling him one of my favorite books to, to read is, is a book called Radical by David Platt, fantastic book. At the same time, it is the most uncomfortable book you can read as a Christian, because it will challenge you to, to understand what it means to live in your faith 24-7. He was talking about how uh, the same kind of mindset. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a leader. Da, 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 da. How can I change the world? And he said, well, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? And one stay-at-home mom said, said I love babies. Makes sense. She's a stay-at-home mom. She loves to be around them. She loves to, to nurture and protect and, 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 and all that. But now you may be going, where is he going with this? Like, is he like calling somebody to have like a thousand kids? No, like that would be insanity. Okay. But what she did do is she went on a two-week missions trip to Latin America and served in an orphanage. It was like, I can serve God in such a unique way. And it just became kind of part of her regular once a year. She'd go and she'd serve, and she found this place where it was her place. And so we find these things that we can do with the natural talents and the natural uh, responsibilities and the natural resources that we have. And, and we go, God, how can you use this? I, you, listen, if, if our life was a constant mountaintop, then we would, we would eventually, we would hate the joy. Because we wouldn't know the, the struggles of, of the valleys. We wouldn't understand the, the, the mundane of a Monday, right? Because some of us are thinking, I got to go back to work tomorrow. Ugh. Right? And, and even if you enjoy your job, it's still a job. 
like, listen, if you give me the option of a beach or, or, or a, a desk, I'm going to take a beach every day, like twice on, on the weekend. You know, I'm just, I'd rather live there. But here's the thing, is that eventually, if we didn't have the work week, if we didn't have the interaction of the mundane, then how would we, how would we ever see God do the miraculous in the middle of it? And that's what, that's what this whole thing, this Misfit Heroes, is, is God wants to take your everyday life, and he wants to shake it up and say, are you looking for the opportunities for me to use you even when you don't expect it? Enter Esther. I love this, this statement that... Um, Misfits don't allow comfort to dictate their life. They let faith. Comfort doesn't get to create. And, and when I was reading this Christine Kane thing, um, it really does take me back to some very key points in my life where, you know, it says uh, stepping out and taking a risk sounds awesome until it comes to the moment you actually have to step out and take the risk. <laughs> like when somebody says, what is your wildest dream? Does, like, that, there's something in you that just gets excited. Oh, let me dream. Because we like to dream. We, we like to, to have that aspect where we're doing something better or different than what we're doing on an everyday basis. I said money and resources was, was not an option. What would you do for a living? And most of us go to that thing that we are most overly passionate about. Let me ask you, what's stopping you? Money? Resources? And, and not to bog you down with statistics or anything, but, you know, you know the, uh, there was a statistic that 65% of today's millionaires are, were, were not handed down money, but they were their first-time millionaires, which means that they didn't start with anything, but they made themselves millionaires. 85% of billionaires right now are self-made billionaires. They are not money that handed down. So I think that we, we use that idea like, oh, I can never do that, I can never do that. And I'm telling you, Find a way. If you have a dream big enough, if God is planting something inside of you, the problem is, is that there's the dream and then there's the stepping out. And I'll tell you what, one of the hardest things, even after me and Stephanie knew what we were called to do, which was to come down here and to start this church, one of the hardest things to do was to go, okay, now we've got to plan the meeting with our pastors and tell them. Because the moment that we verbalize it is the moment that it becomes real. Like there's no going back. You don't just go, I'm just kidding. Wake up two weeks later realizing, oh my God, what did we just say? <laughs> oh, you know that once you say it, it's, it's out there, it's in the atmosphere, and you can't take that back. And so what do we do is, is, is okay, are we sure? Oh, no, we know, we know, we know, we know. Okay, let's not back down. We just get the meeting going, and we jump out there, and we tell them, and it's like, okay, game on. Just go. Because once it's out there, we're forced to either admit defeat or strive in the uncomfortable. So let me give you a little background on, on Esther. Esther is a, uh, a young Jew whose parents die. And she, when her parents die, she goes to her cousin, Mordecai. Okay? Mordecai is obviously much older than her. And uh, Mordecai raises her as his own, as the Bible says. Now, uh, they lived in a territory called Susa, S-A-U-S-A, and they lived under the, the reign of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 providences from India to Ethiopia. Now, most of this means absolutely nothing to the message, but it just kind of gives you this idea of what Esther was being raised in, right? She's under a non-Jewish uh, king, under a non-Jewish customs, 
and she's being raised by her cousin who is a uh, committed Jew and raises her up in the culture of the Jewish people. Now, you, you begin Esther, uh, the book of Esther is like 10 chapters, and it really just focuses in on a very short period of her life. Tells a little bit of background, tells, her, tells the main story, and then tells you a little bit of how this ends, right? And so what happens is, is King Xerxes is throwing this massive party, like massive, 180-day party. Yeah, that's a party. Like, you thought you went to a party? Like, no, he was like throwing it down for a lot, a lot, a lot of days. Okay, and he was riches given, I mean, he was giving party gifts away. He's like, hey, I'm rich. And so he calls his wife, and now, uh, mind you, okay, women, you didn't have much rights back then in that day. So when the, king called the, uh, when, when the king called the queen, the queen came. If he said jump, she didn't even ask how high, she just started jumping. And so he calls the queen in. The queen disrespects him by not doing certain things. And he's like, how dare you? I'm the king. And so he gets all mad and arrogant and prideful, and he goes to his little, you know, echo chamber, and he goes, what should we do about this? And all the guys in the group are like, well, you should make her not queen. We'll just vanish her. And so the king goes, I like that idea. That means I get a new queen. And so they vanish Queen Vashti, and they go through the process of now finding a new queen. Now, what is that process? The process is simple. If you were young, beautiful, and a virgin, you qualified. That's it. Nothing else mattered. You were young, beautiful, and you were a virgin. That was the qualifications for queen, okay? And so they rounded, and it wasn't even an option. It was not an option. Like, you weren't like, well, you know, I know I'm young, beautiful, and a virgin, but I don't want to be the queen. Tough luck, too bad, you're coming with us. So you didn't get an option. So Esther didn't get an option. Esther was young, beautiful, and virgin. And she was rounded up out of all the 127 providences that, that King Xerxes was over. All these ladies were rounded up, and they were brought to a certain palace, and they were pampered. I mean, they were pampered. Like, even though you didn't want to be there, it was a good life. They, like, showered in, in you know, perfumes, and they were always smelling good and looking good. And, and, but, I mean, there's downsides. Because before the king picked a queen, he had to go, and he had to be with her. Okay? Yeah. It, was, it wasn't even an option. It was like, he needs to know that, you know, he believed in taking it for a test drive. And so, so I mean, in essence, that's what he did. And so what would happen is they'd go in and they would be, you know, just completely dolled up and, and beautiful. And they would get to go in and they'd pick a, a piece of jewelry. And then they would go into uh, the king's chamber and the chamber, uh, the king would stay with them for the night. And then they, he'd move on and eventually he'd pick a queen. Well, when it got to Esther, uh, Esther, you know, went to Mordecai and Mordecai was like, he was kind of giving her pointers. Like, listen, don't go and just do whatever you want and be whoever you want. Specifically, go after the things that the king likes. And so she had made favor with all of these different uh, uh, workers and eunuchs and chambermaids and all this. And I was like, what is the king, what does the king really like? And so she goes into her night with the king and he is just wowed by her. And automatically he's like, this is the one. And so he makes Esther a queen. Now I want you to understand this. Nobody knew that she was a Jew. Nobody in the kingdom knew that she was a Jew. Her background, her culture, nobody knew. He just thought, she's another young, beautiful virgin, and I want to make her queen. 
And so he makes her queen, and now she has a place at the table that Jews shouldn't have. (laughs) Now she's there. And now you enter the king's right-hand man, Haman. Haman was an evil man who hated the Jews. Why did he hate the Jews? Because of Mordecai, because of Esther's cousin. Because Mordecai wasn't afraid to, he was never going to bow down to anybody other than God. And so Haman had an ego issue. His head barely could fit through the door. And so when he walked, it said that everybody would bow down to him because he was second in command to the king. And so he had power and he had authority and he had riches. And so as he would walk, you just see this wave of people bowing down as he walked. Could you, how tiring that would be? Like, what if Haman forgot something? Oh, crap. Oh, here he comes again. <sighs> Mordecai was like, I'm not having any of this. And he didn't bow at all. Every time Haman would walk by, he was just like, whatever, dude. What's up? You put your robe on one arm at a time like me, Okay. And so he just, and, and it made Haman mad. And so finally Haman goes to his group of guys and he says, what are we going to do about this Mordecai? I can't stand him. He says, well, Mordecai's a Jew. Yeah, let's take it out on all Jews in our providences. And so he gets the king to agree to, in essence, a day. And this is how they picked it. It says that Haman got in with all of his buddies and they cast lots. They threw the dice. They were playing some craps. They looked at the dice, and the dice would tell you certain things. Hey, we're going to kill the Jews on March 7th. I'm not even making that up. That's literally the date that the Bible says, March 7th, okay? Um, or 17th, I can't remember. It had a 7 in it. And, uh, and so he goes to the king, and he tells him, hey, look, the Jews don't worship you. They don't bow down like they should, blah, 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 blah. We should kill them. The king goes, eh, sounds like a good idea. Okay, here's my, here's my ring. Here's my signature. Go let everybody know. So it was like a year and a half out. He was given all of these people, and, and they took money from the treasury to fund this event and all of that stuff. And it, it, it just turns the guts of it. Could you imagine being a Jew? You're living already in a territory where you're really not a part of the culture. And then you hear that a year and a half from now, you're going to die. Like, that's a long time. I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine. Like, it'd be one thing if they were like, hey, we're going to war tomorrow. Okay. <sighs> like, you got a day to fret. Hey, a year and a half from now, they're going to come after you and try to kill you. And I can't leave. What do I do? I'm now sitting in fear and in hurt and in pain, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm so afraid that this date is every day ticking closer and closer and closer and closer. Now, here's the cool part, is that in the, all of this process, Mordecai is out one night, and he's walking around, and he hears these two guys and they're two of the king's upper-level workers. And he hears them making a plan to overthrow and kill the king. And so he turns those two in and saves the king from death and ends up, those two get punished by death. And the king just kind of sits on that, forgets to uh, thank him, forgets to do anything for Mordecai. And, and, and so, but you got this underlining story kind of sitting there, Right? And so there's this, this really interesting, listen, it's better than like soap operas, okay? Haman hates Mordecai. Mordecai is not a big fan of uh, Haman. Uh, the king is just kind of doing whatever he wants that gives him power and popularity. He likes pretty girls. Esther's a pretty girl. It, it's like, it is a telltale, like all the days of our lives soap opera, okay? 
And this, it starts to unfold, and it's beautiful, and it's crazy how God will use you in the circumstances that you didn't even choose. So let's look at Esther 3, 5 through 6. It says this, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai. He did not, listen, he was so enraged with his power that he was like, killing Mordecai isn't enough. I'm going to go after every one of his nationality. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So the decree was to kill all the Jews which made Mordecai extremely sad, and, and there was a process of mourning that they would rip their uh, outer garment and they would dump ashes on their head. It was a sign of mourning. And they would, they would, they, he, he went to as far as he could to the, to the king's gate, and he would sit there and he would cry and he would pray and he would mourn publicly. And Esther got wind, and, and Esther sent her people down to find out what would happen. And uh, this, this exchange then happens. And we read this in Esther 4, 13 through 16. It says this, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. So Mordecai, the first response earlier in the chapter is to tell, him, tell her what the king did. And then she sends a reply back because uh, he goes, can you use your position to help us out? Your queen. If anybody could have the ear of the king, it would be you. And so Esther's first response to her cousin is this. And before you get to 413, it's, it's this. She sends response back to Mordecai, and she says, I can't go before the king just whenever I want. When I walk in, if he does not extend his golden scepter, that I could be punished by death. And so if I just go in there and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I don't have the ear of the king, he could kill me for just not, he goes, she goes, and I haven't even been in front of him in 30 days. Like, I, have, I, I just, we and, me and him, we are not clicking right now. Um, it could be really bad if this happens. That's the response that she sends to Mordecai. So then 4.13, Mordecai sends the reply to Esther after that exchange. He says, don't think for a moment that because you are in, in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps, this is the famous line that everybody knows, you were made queen for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. So she receives this reply, and it's pretty, like, that's a pretty harsh word. He's saying, listen, if you don't step up, God's going to use somebody else. He's going to protect his people, but you will die. But maybe you were, maybe, just maybe you were put in this position for such a time as this. And so Esther sends this reply. It says, go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, I must die. Some bold words from a girl who just stated to her cousin, I can't do this. But then when her cousin said, you were made for this. You're the only one that has the ear of the king that can change this. So I want to give you a couple of things that we learned from Esther. And a lot of that was the setup just to give you these few points so that you understand what Esther was walking through. It was not a, a, a small thing to, to, to say, hey, just... Brooke, go talk to your man. I'm sure Blake will understand. Can you, like, just go tell him not to kill people. 
And you go in and you make him something nice and, you know, pour him a drink and, hey, babe, how about we not murder people? Because they're my people. Like, you know, no. Blake's got a power trip because he's the king. And not just the king of one providence, but 127 providences. And he's got, like, listen, you know, he, he is Beyonce. He could get another one of you. Okay? To the left, to the left. And, and honestly, back in those days, he probably did have another, another uh, one of you. They were called concubines. But nonetheless, uh, he, he, he doesn't need to hear from you. And so he goes to, she goes to, to her cousin and says, listen, okay, fine. If God has placed me here for such a time as this, then go and gather everybody. Let's pray for, pray for three days. Let's fast and pray and let's seek Jesus. And let, well, let's seek God. They didn't know Jesus yet. Uh, but let's seek God and let's seek what his purpose and plan is. And then in three days, I will go before the king, even though it's against the law. It's funny, you know, if it's in there, it's for a reason. She's making sure that her cousin knows. It's against the law. And so if I die, I'll die. So what do we learn from Esther and this misfit hero? The first is, you don't have a choice, but you have a choice. You don't have a choice, but you have a choice. And what do I mean by that? She didn't get a choice in being a part of the process of the queen. She didn't get to choose whether she was uh, young, beautiful, and a virgin. She just was. And so when they rounded, it, rounded up all the young, beautiful virgins, she was a part of that group. She didn't get a choice. She didn't get a choice of whether she was going to be queen or not. Because she was young, beautiful, and a virgin, and because she went through the process and the king liked her, she, he chose her. She didn't get a say. Do you like the king? No. Doesn't matter. Marry him anyways. <laughs> or you'll die. You, you see, like a lot of options that she had just ended in death. She didn't have a lot of choices. But in the process, even though she didn't have a lot of choices of what led her there, she had a choice of what she would do when she got there. She had choices of how she would live her life in the kingdom as queen, as a Jew. And here's what I want you to learn from, from Esther, that even though you may not have a choice, you have a choice, is that you may not choose your circumstances, but you can choose how you walk through them. You can choose how you are going to live your life in the middle of your circumstance. You don't understand, Pastor Scott. You understand what I've walked through. You're right. A lot of times I have no clue what we walk through. Each and every one of us, we have struggles of our own that is horrible to even try to compare to one another. Playing that one-up game, well, you know, I had a bad childhood because we were broke. Well, yeah, at least you had both parents. Well, yeah, at least your one parent was present. Well, at least your one parent wasn't drunk. Like, you know, like we're always trying to one-up how bad life can be. Can I just tell you that I may not know what you walk through, but you're there for a reason. Even if you, you don't like your job, you're there for a reason. You may not like it, but you're there for it. When's the last time you prayed, God, what's my purpose in this job? What's my purpose around these people? God, what's my purpose in my family? I can't stand half of them. How, how do I, how do I uh, love on them when all I want to do is beat them up? You know, like, you know, how, what, what, what is this thing... Going to family gatherings becomes like going to the dentist, and you're like, God, I would rather go to the dentist and not take numb medication. And that's how sometimes we see those circumstances, but what if God has placed you there for a reason? What if being the light and being the love and being the change in your family or in your friend group or at your workplace, what if you don't have a choice in the circumstances, but you have a choice in how you will walk through them? You have a choice in your mindset. You have a choice in your actions. You have a choice in, your, uh, in the ability to be a positive or negative thinker. 
Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. This is such a sucker scripture. Because when you walk through someone, when, when somebody's died, tragically, how does it work out for the good of those that love you? Because it's scriptures like that where people go, yeah, well, how is this good? How is God gonna, well, how is God gonna turn this one around? When you're walking through a divorce or a child's death or uh, you just lost your job. Okay, God, show me how this is good. But you know, the process, the problem is, is that in the process, in the middle of the process, we don't see what God is doing or how God is going to use it. It's not that God caused the circumstance. It's that he's going to use the circumstance to show you how to walk through it. And I think that's so key in walking through tragedy is that God did not cause the tragedy, but he will use the tragedy to make a difference in your life, to speak the good and to do the good in your life. You may not have a choice, but you have a choice. And if you start looking at your circumstances, instead of saying, woe is me, you say, God, how are you going to use me? Oh, God, why am I going through this again? No, God, how are you going to use me in this? That we start to flip the thought processes around, which leads me to the second point or the second thought on Esther is how you think determines where you are going. Look at Esther's two responses to Mordecai. The first one was this. I'm not doing it. Can't make me. <laughs> I will die. I haven't been before the king in 30 days. Uh, I, just can't, I just can't do that. You know, it's just not in my wheelhouse. It's not in my capability. Sorry, cuz, but I love you, but no. And then Mordecai reminds her that she was put there for a purpose. Put there to be a difference maker. Probably sat on that for a day or two and just thought about it. And she writes back, okay. What, what changed? I mean, the, the circumstance obviously did not change. Her circumstance didn't change. Listen, the Jews are going to die. We know this. Okay? We also know that she hasn't been before the king in 30 days and that if she goes and she goes unwanted, she will die. The circumstances have not changed for her. So what changed? In the midst of not having a choice, she had a choice to change how she thought. And so you can change the way you think. And, and listen, this is not like Oprah, Dr. Philisms. This is the word of God. If you don't believe me, I will take you there, okay? Because Colossians 3, 2 says this, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And when we shift our thinking to a heavenly mindset, to a heaven-focused, heaven-centered, heaven-purposed mindset, we are going to do things that seem abnormal. Why would you do that? Because Jesus told me to. Remember my point from last week? Jesus made me do it, okay? Why did I do that? It's not because it, was, it looked like the right decision. It's not because it felt good. It's not because everybody was championing me going, oh my gosh, it would be amazing. You're going you're to go to Camden and start a mega church. Hamden doesn't know mega for anything. <sighs> so if, listen, and, and this is very real, if my goal was to move to Camden and start a church of 3,000, I'm failing. 
But see, the whole purpose is this, is that if I tried to move to Camden and I tried to do anything, then it would fail even if it got to 3,000. My goal is to say, God, whether we succeed on, in, in man's eyes, whether it looks like it's working underneath, whether it looks like it's coming together, whether we're growing massively or growing smallly or, or COVID hits or anything like that. I don't, God, whatever you want. God, if I must go, I must go. And if I must die, I must die. And this was, this was the whole shift in Esther's mindset is that her thinking decided, you know what? I'm not going to let my circumstances decide my thought process because that's my God's job. I'm going to think about heaven. I'm going to think about the purpose I was put here. And she says, right? She says, go and gather all the Jews to Susa and fast for me. She said, in other words, we are going to pray and we are going to shift our thinking from the, the natural viewpoint to a spiritual viewpoint. And if I must die, I must die. Where you settle your mind, your life will follow. That's why I believe that Christians, when they settle their mind on Jesus, they are capable of doing amazing things. They automatically go from, from this mindset of negativity and, 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 oh, well, you know, the world doesn't like Christians too. You know what? I kind of like the fact that I'm, I'm a little different. I'm okay with being a misfit. I'm okay with being, being a little against the grain because, you know what, that may just open the door for somebody to ask, why are you different? Why don't you do this anymore? Why don't you? Or, or in, in this world, you may, you may turn the tide of religiosity where people go, is it okay for Christians to do that? I don't, I don't is that okay? Can you, can you do that? <laughs> I had one person tell me when we started our, our, uh, our bruising Bible thing with, with Craig from another church. He said, yeah, that's kind of different. We heard about that. I'm like, I don't even know how you heard about it. He goes, we couldn't do that at our church. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, this isn't like drunk day with Jesus. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is, I think that we get, because, because we get this idea, like, how can you do like, Jesus is not okay. Like Jesus would go to the bar with us. It doesn't say that Jesus would drink with us. It doesn't say that Jesus would get drunk with us. It says that Jesus would go to the place where sinners and, and, and the hurting needed him and he would present the gospel. I've talked with Craig throughout this whole process of him doing it. And he said, man, people, he's had people just walk in and sit down with him. Like, what y'all doing? <laughs> Seriously, like, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but talking about people that don't even believe in God that are just sitting down and like, oh, this sounds interesting. Y'all, for such a time as this, you were created to go into the places where nobody else in the church world will go and they would talk about the gospel and talk about Jesus and talk about his love and therefore people would come to know that goodness and they would want what you got because you don't look religious. But you can't go to the places that are uncomfortable if your mindset is, what will people think of me? I'll die if I go there. It's social suicide. I hate to tell you being a Christian is pretty social suicide. Because they're either going to look at you and ask, why do you do this or why you don't do something? All the time. <laughs> All the time. It is a constant trying to correct them of who you are and that you are not a cookie cutter anything, that you love Jesus, and that sometimes you screw up and you do the wrong thing, but all your focus is, I want to live for God as much as I possibly can. And so I shift my thinking, and I think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth. And when I settle my mind on something, my life will follow. And she made up in her spirit and her mind to follow what God would have for her, even if it meant death. Here's what it meant. She didn't create a plan B. Well, if the king doesn't want to see me, I'll just turn around and I'll run really, really fast. 
you know, if I stand close enough to the door and say, oh, great king, I love you, and he goes, nope, okay. Because if we, if we create a, clan, a plan B, we're going to take it. We don't use the word divorce in our household. There's many times where probably we wanted to at one point or another. But we don't because there's, listen, that would be, those are fruit, fruitless, empty words in our house. There's no such thing. I, we, will, we will put boxing gloves on and beat each other senseless before we divorce each other. We won't get that far. We'll just evilly glare at each other and go to bed quietly. <laughs> you know, like, it's just, we don't, we, listen, there's just things that it's like, man, if I give myself an out, that's, listen, this is why 54% of Christian marriages end in divorce is because they go into marriage thinking if it doesn't work out, I've got God's forgiveness. So you'd rather ruin the plan for God just because it got hard. Because it didn't feel good. Because it wasn't a fairy tale. Newsflash. You didn't marry a princess and you dang sure ain't a prince. We all have bad days. Bad months. Bad years. And when we learn that, the, the fight is just as valuable as the wins. You will be willing to go through the hard times to see God move in miraculous and amazing ways. And the miracle sometimes is we didn't give up. Sometimes we're looking for this amazing miracle where God just changed their heart, you know, because that's what we pray. God, just change their heart because I know I'm right. The only one that's ever prayed that prayer. God, just, if they would just get on my level. I love you and I just need them to see your ways. God's going, you need to shut up and just go along for the ride because I'm going to change your heart too. And that's what Esther needed a heart change, but she needed a mind shift first. She needed to determine her thought process to focus it on heaven so that her life would go there because she couldn't have made the decision to go before the king with a plan B. We need to shift our mindset to say, God, your way is the only way I want. We will often find what we are looking for. Here's what I mean by that. If, you're, if your mindset is set on negativity, you will find what you're looking for. This is not even a biblical, I mean, it is a biblical thing, but it's also a psychological thing. You talk to any psychologist, any, any, anybody in that field, when you, when, when you look and think and, and, and constantly are thinking about something, you're going to see it in everything. Pessimists see everything. They're looking for the other shoe to fall. And it's not like we're running around just with a whole bunch of flowers and, and you know, I, we are not unconsciously looking past the bad in life. We're just choosing to look for the good. You know, and I, I make a lightheartedness, you know, it's the Tigger mindset, not the Eeyore mindset, because Eeyore always saw the negative. Right? Well, it's sunny outside. Guess it's going to rain later. Tigger's like, it's sunny outside, let's go play. And if it rains, let's go play in the mud. And, and, and it's the mindset that we've got to realize that as Christians, we've got to see what God is doing in the rainy times and in the sunny times. And it's a mind shift thing. Man, how, God, how are you going to use this mistake? How are you going to use this mess up? How are you going to use this bad day? How are you going to use when I'm angry? God, help me to see your way. Because you'll fi often find what you were looking for. Whether it's, if, if it's criticism, you'll find the critics. If it's negativity, you'll find the negativity. If it's hurt, you're going to find people to hurt you. But if it's passion and God's purpose, you're also going to find that, but you, you, it's not going to magically happen or accidentally happen. You're not going to wake up one day and be like, oh my gosh, you'll never believe this. I fell into God's purpose. No. 
It's because you shifted your mindset like Esther did, and you said, God, whatever it is, even if it hurts in the moment, I'm going to passionately pursue it. You never want someone else's opinion of you to become the reality. I want you to catch that. Listen, this, this, I literally saw this on Instagram from a football player this week. It was draft weekend. My Cowboys drafted this guy. And in the midst of his interview, this is what he says. Because everybody's talking about, you know, he was a first-round draft pick of the Cowboys. He was an offensive lineman. And they're like, yeah, do you really need to go first round? Like, did you really need, like, what? And he, and, and he looks at the reporters and he goes, I really don't care about the media. And he goes, and he looks at the reporters and he says, you never want someone else's opinion of you to become the reality. It's like, oh my gosh, you should be a preacher. Because if we look at the negatives of people, we will always think that they're never enough. I mean, look at the statistics. Michael Jordan missed more shots than he made. He's a horrible basketball player. No, he was like one of the greatest to ever live. Babe Ruth struck out more than he, uh, than, than, uh, he had home runs. He's a horrible baseball player. Like if we look at the negative, we're, we're going to see what we want to see. The reality is, is that the wins, the God using you, the, the, the times where God wants to take you through some really tough times to see you win and, 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 and do things in your life that maybe you wouldn't normally be able to do is not in the times where you are listening to other people's opinions, but you're listening to him. I'm not going to let somebody else dictate my reality, which leads me to the last thought, which is stop settling. Somebody needs to hear this today. Stop settling. Yeah. Okay. I mean, is that what you want you written on your tombstone? She was just okay. She was okay with <laughs> like, hey, how's, how's life? Well, you know. I'm, I, I, and, and we joke about it, but I and I probably hear this at least once a week. I'm still breathing. Like, is that, is that the ceiling we're going for here? Like, you still got breath? That's the highlight of your life? <laughs> well, you know, got two shoes on. Could only have one. I mean, it just, it sounds really stupid to say, like, these are our ceilings for life. I'm breathing. Stop settling. Now listen, this isn't a name it and claim it, grab it by faith and hold on to it because we're all going to become millionaires. No, God, no. I mean, sure, if you want, but no. It's a saying that whatever is thrown my way, whether amazing times, whether in, in, in riches or poor, whether it's, whether it's in the best of uh, circumstances or the worst, whether I'm, I'm gaining a job or losing a job or whatever it is, I'm not going to settle in the moment just because I feel comfortable. James 1.12 in the Passion Translation says this, if your faith remains strong, even, <laughs> if your faith remains strong, even while surrounded by life's difficulties, you will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every, every lover of God. It never says if your faith remains strong, only in the good times. That's not faith. It says, if your faith remains strong, even when you're surrounded by life's difficulties. I said this last week or the week before. The Bible, when David writes, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. 
It does not say go camp in the death. It says you're going to walk through it. And so many times, the reasons why we have a tough time in life is because we got to the, the hard parts of life and we pitched a tent. We said, well, I guess this is the best it is and at least I'm not dead. I'll just camp here. I'll be okay with it. And James says, no, even though you're surrounded by life's difficulties, your faith will remain strong and you will see the victories of God because of your faith. So what do I mean by that? Three simple things that I want you to learn about not settling. Get you a Mordecai. Get you a Mordecai. Get somebody who's willing to tell you the truth. Get somebody that's willing to tell you, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup, because you're going to do God's plan. I don't want to do that. Okay, you know what? You may not want to do it, but God has a purpose for your life. And if you don't want to do it, you're still going to have, and God's going to pick somebody else to do it. The purpose of God will never be stopped because you're afraid of uncomfortability. God will find somebody to do his plan, but he wants to use you. Doesn't that amaze you about God? He wants to use you. Every single one of you he wants to use, he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And if you choose to to not do it because you're uncomfortable and you're scared, he's going to go, okay, but my plan will still be. Me and Stephanie would have said no to moving here. Guess what? I believe that he would have chose somebody else. And you would have all found yourselves at the same church doing God's plan or even worse, even worse, we would have been like the Israelites and we would have said no and God said, okay, then these people aren't going to be able to find their purpose because you're not fulfilling it, but eventually you'll come back to saying yes. See, eventually God gets his way because he wants the best for us and he wants to reach people and he wants to love people and we've got to get out of our own way and we've got to find ourselves people that are going to speak truth, truth to us. Hey, is that really the best way to do that? Is that the best way to say it? Is that the best way to live your life? Somebody who will tell you the truth, love you, and guide you through your life, get you a Mordecai. Secondly, do what, what she did. Lean into God's word, will, and prayer and fasting. You want to not settle? Change what is being spoken in here and here. We were talking about music um, last week with some, some people outside just in the foyer. You know, it's, it's amazing when you don't realize the, the words that are being thrown at you the words that are being thrown into these songs and, and, and the death sometimes. You know, not all secular music is bad, but most of it is because they're speaking from a perspective that is not in God's light. And so they're speaking. And now I love love songs and I love songs that build up and there's quite a few secular songs that'll do that, but there's a lot of songs that just speak death into people's life. Make, make you grab a hold of fun for the moment, but then the, that fun actually leads you to a death, an emotional death, and a spiritual death, and a, a physical death because you buy the lies of the enemy and you start to listen. And so when you want to change your mindset, when you want to shift not settling, when you want to shift doing what God's plan is, then you have to shift what you're being fed. You've got to lean into God's word. You've got to lean into his will, prayer, and fasting and say, God, what is it that you have for me? That's what shifted Esther. Because she was listening to her own thought. No, I'm going to die if I go before the king. And then she got before God for three days and three nights. And God said, I got you. You were made for this. And she goes to Mordecai and she says, we got this. And the last thing is do the hard things. You want to not settle? Do the hard things. When you do easy things, you get easy rewards. But it feels good to be comfortable. I Listen, I know. I like comfortability just like the next person, but it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get better in the comfortable. 
I don't find out who God really has made me in the uncomfortable. We've all, we all, all have heard that, you know, diamonds are, are made from the pressing of, and finding of the coal. And, 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 and could you imagine if you didn't go through the process, some of you wouldn't have beautiful engagement rings or wedding rings or, or you wouldn't have diamond earrings because, oh, well, you know, that ugly looking coal thing. Ugly little coal thing, when it's put into pressure, creates a diamond. So we want the beauty of life without the uncomfortable. And God's saying, you don't get the beauty of my presence. You don't get the beauty of my purpose in your life without walking through a little bit. So don't settle. Do the hard things. Don't live for comfort. Live in the confidence of God. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every single time. What do you want to do? He's like, I'm not sure. Nailed it. Don't aim Oh, just whatever happens, happens. Worst statement ever. Or how about this one? Just trust your heart. Lies. Your heart will lie to you so bad. So bad. Go ahead and eat that fifth slice of pizza. Tastes so good until you've got indigestion. You're like, oh, my heart lied to me. Okay? All of you that like, you know, and listen, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, my heart loves Taco Bell. But you're, listen, your bathroom doesn't. <laughs> the Bible says your heart is deceitful. It will tell you that Taco Bell is good. Some of you will argue that Taco Bell is healthy. You liars, get behind me, Satan. It's like looking at a McDonald's chicken nugget trying to tell me it's chicken. It's not chicken. What part of a chicken is called the nugget? Shaped like this. I haven't found it yet. The heart will tell me that's chicken because I want to eat it. The truth tells me, nope. <laughs> and so many times in our life, the heart will tell you, oh, but it feels good, do it. God is saying, listen, if you love me, if you trust me, then we'll step out in faith and you'll do the hard things and you will start to aim for a real purpose. Esther didn't settle. She listened to Mordecai. She trusted God and she did the hard thing. She went before the king. And when she went before the king, she righted the wrongs. The quick version of the end of Esther is this, is that she realized that Haman was an evil person and Haman hated Mordecai so badly that he built 75 foot poles with a point on it. And his goal was to put Mordecai on, or yeah, to put Mordecai on it. Like how bad do you hate somebody that you're willing to go and make a gigantic toothpick and then stick a human being on it? And then one day, here's how God works. The king is laying in bed and realizes, hey, we had this guy that saved my life one day. Did we ever do anything for him? And he's like, no. And then Haman walks in. He goes, hey, what would you do to honor somebody who saved the king's life? And he's like, oh, he's talking about me. And he goes, because this is Haman's pride, you know, pride, right? And he goes, oh, he's talking about me. He goes, I would give the king one of his own pair of clothes and put him on his own horse. And I would have one of his royal people trot him around town and say, how great this guy is. He goes, great. I want you to go do that for Mordecai. <laughs> oh, I love God. Could you imagine him? He's like, he's like, I got this 75 foot toothpick. I'm ready to put Mordecai on. And now you want me to put him on a horse that's yours in your clothing and trot him around town and go, he's amazing. When all I want to do is kill him. <laughs> this is God. So he does that. And then the queen gets, uh, gets the king, and the king's like, do whatever you want, babe. I got you. She's like, I just want to have dinner with you and Haman. Okay. So they have dinner, and then the king's like, what do you want? I'll give you half of my world. 
literally, like this guy is like sprung on the queen. And he, she goes, okay, listen, I want to have, have lunch with y'all again. And, 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 and Haman goes home and he's bragging about it. He goes, man, I've got riches. I've got power. I've got authority. And the queen, we had, I had dinner with her and she's asking for me to have lunch with uh, her and the king tomorrow. And when they get to lunch, she goes, why? The king goes, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I'll give you anything. He goes, I want to know why you want to kill my people. Oh, snap. He goes, what are you talking about? And he goes, why is it that you signed the thing that Haman put out a decree that he wants to kill Jews and I'm Jewish? King gets up with anger. How dare you want to kill my wife? And he walks off, and Haman's now like, oh, God, I want to save my life. So he starts begging the queen, how can we do, how, how, how can we say that? And it literally says that it, he went and laid down next to her on her couch, okay? Now the king comes back, and Haman's trying to lay with his wife. <laughs> Y'all, this turned real bad real quick. And he's like, I can't even step out of the moment to think about something, and you're over here trying to get cozy with my wife and kill her at the same time. <laughs> he says, you're gone. Kills Haman. Puts him on his 75-foot toothpick. Did. He did. Put him on his own toothpick. And then the king promotes Mordecai. Mordecai and Esther work out a plan with the king to save the Jews. He couldn't. Now listen, whenever the king uh, does something, signs it with a signet, he can't change it. So it was unchangeable. But they wrote a new decree that said the Jews can kill anybody that comes after them and, and uh, plunder their village. So that's what happened. The Jews killed people and, and, and by defending themselves. And God won in the end, and it wasn't about the murder of people. It was the defense of his people and using somebody in the process when they didn't feel qualified. See, Esther is a misfit hero because she was just a girl going along with what she was told to do, and God said, let me use you in the most amazing, most powerful way. You can't even see yet. So don't settle. Don't settle for your circumstances. Change your mindset. Get a Mordecai, lean into God's word, and do what Esther did, change the world. You never know the influence that God is giving you in the world around you by simply living your life for God and stepping out in the moment. I want to end with Hebrews 11.6. It says this. It says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. You were created for such a time as this. So what will you do with your time? We're all guaranteed, all of, we're all guaranteed time until we're not. We all have a certain amount of seconds, days, hours in our life. What will you do with them? Will you waste it? Be afraid of it? Or will you use it? Will you pour into the lives of those that are around you? Be the difference. Speak positive, life-changing things into people's life. Tell them that they can be something when the world tells them they can't. When you're with customers or coworkers or employees, employer situation, are you, are you speaking and, and, and living as much life as you possibly can? Oh, but they just frustrate me. I, listen, around people enough, they're gonna frustrate you. They're gonna hurt you. It's inevitable. 
The question is, do we, do we change our heart to see the negative criticism or do we say, God, I know that you want the best for us. And it doesn't mean that we're, we're doormats. It doesn't mean that we are, you know, care bear, share, rainbow bright, see the good in everybody, just never gonna go through hard times. No. But it means that even if you hurt me, Blake, I'm gonna not run away. I'm gonna press in. The Bible says I'm gonna bear with one another. Hey, what's going on? Why would, you, why would you say that? Why would you do that? Or maybe it's why, maybe I took it wrong or whatever. It, listen, be okay with being uncomfortable. But what will you do with your time? Just like Esther, you were made for this moment. You could have been born in any other time frame. You could have been born in any other country, but God chose here. He wants to use you in little old Camden to change the world, to change a kid's world. Maybe it's just one person you will ever change your whole life in, in, in an eternal way. Are you okay with that? I am. I'll tell you why, because if I, if I can change one life, maybe they change a thousand. What will you do with your time? How will you use it? Will you waste it? Be afraid of it or use it? Will you pray with me? I wonder if there's anybody here that would say, you know what, I feel like um, I haven't been using my time wisely and I, I just wanna, I wanna be like Esther and I wanna know. Help me to shift my thought process away from the negative, away from the worrying, away from all of these things. And it's not an overnight thing, sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's a process of getting into God's word, getting close to good people, staying connected to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, I need that. I need a shift. If that's you, nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand. Amen. See that hand. I see that. Listen, I knew there was a reason for this message. Those hands tell me that, that man, we, we, we need to lean into God and, and say, God, I'm so done with allowing the world and the people around me to dictate who I am. Never let somebody else's opinion dictate your future. Jesus, I pray for those that raise their hands that maybe, and maybe there's more that didn't, that they're just like, man, that's me. I just, God, you're speaking. They were meant for more. Maybe the more is just a shifting of their thought process of their spirit to plug into you more, to hear your word, to hear your purpose for them. And when they walk into work tomorrow, God, that, that things change. They see their coworkers differently. They see their job differently. They see their family differently. It's not overnight. Maybe it takes months. Maybe it takes weeks. Maybe it just takes a couple days. But God, you want to do a work in them like you did with Esther, that they were made for such a time as this. They weren't here just to take up space, that we are here to live a purpose life, to change the world around us, to speak hope, to speak of a future that is destined for God's goodness. God, your word is true, that you want to take every circumstance and you want to do something good in it. And so God, I pray that over us, that we would shift our mindset, that even though we may not have a choice of the circumstance, we have a choice of how we will walk through it. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us. Guide us and lead us through your word through your voice in our life, through good people. We love you, Jesus. I pray that we would take opportunity this week to live for you, that we would look for doors being open to speak of your goodness. 
that we would invite other people, not just to a church, but invite people into this life that we're walking as a Christian. Jesus, we love you. We worship you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.